Welcome back to Cooper Duper. It's the Twin Peaks podcast for regular people. This is Jessica. I am Mikey. Uh, how are you doing today, Mikey? Okay. I don't know. People do that at the beginning of podcasts, they but do. we've been together all day. Oh. So I know how you've been doing, um, which I is mean, fine. I mean, you were gone for a while. You went to the dog park. I, I did was go home to the alone. dog park. Yeah. It must have been really hard for you to be home alone for 90 minutes when we've been together for I was so scared. six months. <laughs> Um, okay, so we are on... Cracked open some wine again. So yeah, good. you sure did. Mikey went to the store to get baking soda and came back with eight bottles of wine, which I was happy about. Pursued by... I was pursued by wine. That's not... Doesn't make sense, though, I is know, the thing. But I want to pursue by bear sponsorship. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think the start of a sponsorship is saying the product here's correctly. Here's the thing. Yes. I ordered some. You did not. Yeah, yeah, I did. I ordered some today, Michael. So we've got some because if we're gonna if we're gonna get a sponsorship, we've got to drink it. And he's got a new line out of the Baby Bear, which is like a red blend. And so I got some Pursuit by Wear from the Bear. Um, how many? Six. Six. It's like there was like two. There was like a sale, and it was like two three packs, and then free shipping and all this stuff. So I got it. Can Six we bottles. afford that? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. It's just some wine. Well, like, it'll be special occasion wine or whatever, or Twin Peaks wine or whatever. <laughs> I got, so I'm getting four bottles of the Baby Bear, which is the blend. Uh-huh. There'll be one bottle of the Syrah and a bottle of Rosé, Blushing Bear. So we didn't get any... The, 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 the cap's cap? like $70 a bottle. Oh, okay. That's too much. Yes. Oh, okay. There, there's our line. We found it. <laughs> well, the other ones are be, were between like 30, 30 and 40 bucks a bottle or whatever, so... Cool. And then che- even cheaper when you bought them in the packs. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I don't have seventy dollars. We we've had the cab a couple of times. Yeah, we're good. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. I'm still. Fight- I know I saved it for this. Isn't I'm nice still fighting with IGES to get my unemployment because yeah, my but I have a job has- and I'm not spending money on my commute. Uh huh. And so we're good. Okay. Well, you know what? Cheers to that. That was a nice little surprise. Yeah. For me. I saved it. I just dribbled it myself with my wine. Okay. All right. Wow. Oh, also, I'm going to jump in and give a shout out before we get going to uh, John Bernardi, who corrected my. Yeah, I was pretty embarrassed. I don't even remember saying it. I haven't listened to that episode since you did all the editing, so I don't remember what I said, but. I assume that I said David Lynch left in you, season two. Yeah, for, you were saying in context of why season two got bad because he said. Yeah, that. and I feel like I've a lot of people have said that, and I'm not the only one. But I take responsibility for your fucking self. Now that he, know, now that he said it, he's right, and so credit to John. If you want, here's the thing: if you want fun, drunken ramblings about our take on Twin Peaks, listen to this podcast. If you want fact-based research and like legitimate stuff that's in depth and well thought out and well researched, mm-hmm. head on over to 25 years later site.com and uh, read up on just about anything you can think of there. Yeah, we're like the um, the homeopathy forums Ooh. of Twin Peaks, and he's like the science based medicine forum. Does that feel good? No. Okay, well, maybe get your fucking back straight before you run your mouth, Grave. No, see, here's the thing. It's it's less, it's still science. It's less research science because I'm correcting myself. I was wrong and I'm claiming ownership of that. Sure, sure, sure. I was incorrect. 
Mm-hmm. And I was proven wrong, and I admit that. Mm-hmm. Whereas homeopathy is just like, yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, we're right, and you're wrong, and everything. Well, yeah, water has memory. It's science. Um, okay, <laughs> so we are in season two, episode two. Um, I very much enjoy... So a lot of shit happens in this episode that I really enjoy. Um, it's another... David Lynch, great episode. David Lynch directed, great episode. Hurley, Harley Payton. Yeah, who's Hurley? Oh, Hurley's been lost. Yeah, I'm and, so sorry. James we keep, Hurley. I'm so sorry. You could we have keep kept talking. him in the Twin Peaks universe and referenced James Hurley. Well, we keep talking about Lost. We're so close to being done with Lost, and you'll never hear me reference it again. No, Lost will go on forever. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was written by Harley Payton, directed by David Lynch. Um, to Harley me, Payton's a great, great writer, really, especially I, for. He really understands the sensibilities and like everything is just like very poetic and I I like how he uses dialogue that's slightly elevated. It's not like how people exactly totally out of like it it lives perfectly in this surreal Twin Peaks world Mm -hmm. where like content of what's happening in the world is elevated. Mm -hmm. But like so like the the language matches that without being too extreme and being mm-hmm. to the point where uh, all right this is dumb I'm checking out mm-hmm. but also it's not just exposition dumps yes yes exactly um, okay let's go to the um, the log ladies intro and then we'll jump yep. into our opening scene um, log ladies intro is as follows. As above, so below, the human being finds himself or herself in the middle. There is as much space outside the human proportionally as inside. Stars, moons, and planets remind us of protons, neutrons, and electrons. Is there a bigger being walking with all the stars within? Does our thinking affect what goes on outside us and what goes on inside us? I think it does. Where does creamed corn figure into the workings of the universe? What really is creamed corn? Is it a symbol for something else? So these okay. So we've talked about why the the log lady intros exist. Yeah. And it's to kind of correct and re you know, course correct. Which is why because he does it in the most abstract yeah, way possible. But deviations from the Lynch ideas and stuff like that. But this was a Lynch-directed episode yes. at the start of season two, and he directed the last episode. So so far, there's nothing to correct. Mm-hmm. So this just sounds like a 17-year-old kid in his mom's basement getting high. That's exactly what I and was like, going to say. And like, dude, what if like we're just like cells and like <laughs> a bigger dude, man, and like cream corn, dude. Like it really, this this is the least like meaningful, I feel like, of most any of these, at uh, least certainly so far. beautifully poetic. I love the paragraph about stars, moons, and planets reminded us of protons, neutrons, and electrons. I love yeah, that. Yeah, uh, but the, yeah, it's all still beautifully written. Yeah. But like even, even like... He's steering you to. There's the whole scene coming up, and we'll talk about it. But the cream corn sequence with the Meals on Wheels and stuff. And I think what he's telling you is like, don't focus on the magic. Mm-hmm. Focus on what it is. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. this. Like everyone took away. Like oh, this is a weird magical thing that happened, and he moved this thing that seems like it would be hard to move. But what? actually matters is what does the cream corn represent like mm-hmm. it isn't about the magic it's about what the magic was used for mm-hmm. which is an interesting redirect i think sure for how most people viewed that scene 
I am I'm trying to look up and I, I, I don't think I'll be able to find anything terribly easy, but the origin of as above, so below. Because um, I feel like that's a phrase that's tossed around a lot. There's a movie recently yes, that came out that I really like. It's... If There's I, an album, it looks if like. If I remember... I, you're, yeah, I don't... Angel I, Witch? I'll probably be wrong, but cool. I feel like in within the context of the movie, which was a pretty good movie... Oh, um, the, the Azzle Bubble Blue. Yeah, so it had maybe? something to do with some old... It was, like, translated from Latin, and it was an old, like, proverb, essentially. Yeah, I'm just... I'm curious about... Concept was first laid out in the Emerald Tablet of Hermes Trismegistus. That which is below corresponds to that which is above, and that which is below above responds to that which is below to accomplish the miracles of one thing. So I don't know. That was the first thing that came up. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's. I don't know. I, I like that phrase. I think it's. Oh, it's, it, it's sonically really pleasing well, to me. And I feel like it's a thing that I indirectly always kind of lived by like I've never been I always I'm always in the middle I always like things in the middle Mm -hmm. I always like I don't I don't know every time I can't think of an example but like I always I always go for the middle like oh if I I'm buying something and like I don't know the difference between all these go for the middle but that tends to be human nature I think that's the reason that like mediums are the most popular like pop that's sold it's because like that pop like if you get a pop at McDonald's, yeah. Oh, medium, like the size, like the gotcha, size, medium. Gotcha. Um, I was thinking like a flavor. I was like, what the hell is a medium oh, flavored? Pop? I was yeah. like, like not diet, but not full fat. Pot. Like what? It's just some yeah. sugar in there. Yeah. It's perfect, but that was... some aspartame okay. also. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that's but but again, that's what the phrase means is middle. The middle is important, and it gets for. I mean, yeah. Okay, so um, our first scene is, to me, such a, like, if I had to get somebody to understand Twin Peaks, I might show them this scene, and I'll tell you why. I don't remember the opening scene. Where did um, it open? It's at breakfast and the oh, Great right, Northern. Right. Uh, Cooper the explains. the quartet behind them and some beautiful thoughts. So wild. I've noticed I, that, that. Sorry, just real quick. Somebody mentioned that, and I've picked up on it. All of these breakfast sequences, they set up that there's some sort of event or convention or something happening in the Great Northern. So, like, mm-hmm. there's always, like, the sailors, or there's a group of very specific lumberjacks for, like, a competition. There's, mm-hmm. like, some type of swimsuit The Icelandics and... Yeah, there's always a thing. So even in, like, random episodes where they just have a scene, in the background is a barbershop quartet because mm-hmm. there's some event in right. town. Like, it's just an That's interesting... That's not spoken plot. of. Yeah. It's just... Sure, doesn't which matter. I think is so true for like small towns like this right. of like just shit kind well, of rolls and through i worked many years in hotels i did av work for various hotels and there is there's always some type of ridiculous convention every other day it's it's, hyper specific as soon as you bring up this thing you set up everything up you break it all down because tomorrow we got a whole different group coming in it's great wasn't there when you worked at the Hyatt O'Hare wasn't there like a porn convention at the same there time was, as like a, da- a young girls the, uh, dancers convention was, there's there was Two of my favorites were one of, um, it was a three stories of conference rooms mm-hmm. and such, and then it was all the guest rooms and at one of the hotels I worked at. Once it was some type of youth uh, religion group, mm. some type of youth group type of convention on the main floor, 
And then on the lower basement level was shibari kan, which is Japanese rope binding, um, like for sexual purposes. Oh, okay. Like, like yeah. So it <laughs> was just like not. But like, yeah, it was it was that. It's exactly that. It's people who are into that. They like teach you new techniques and new mm-hmm. tools and trick and all that stuff. While this like bunch of eighth graders are upstairs doing this. So that one was good. Um, and then they also used to have it was it was a hotel that was connected to a full convention center. So at the big convention center was X Triple Exotica, the huge porn convention. Well, sure, don't you don't uh, have to tell me about the huge. Yeah, I mean it's 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 the porn convention yeah. essentially. Um, so that would come in, but it was every weekend that it was in was the same weekend as like some type of like. Teenage and below dance competition, mm-hmm. and it not a great was the look most for uncomfortable <laughs> thing in the world mm-hmm. for me to be like. So at the hotel, the convention was the dance thing. So they had all these like preteen girls uh-huh. doing their thing, and then like the porn convention, which like who are all staying at the same nothing hotel. against porn. No, like we don't king shame on this. Podcast. Yeah, exactly. Dude, that's that's fine. But it just it always it always like I it just surprised me mm. that like. Nobody likes this. Yeah, nobody. Yeah, it's just so. Like, how many people are overlapping every night for those three days? Is like it always just felt like a weird recruitment center. Ooh, God. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, um. So at so the reason I like this scene so much. So during breakfast, Mm -hmm. we have Cooper sitting with Albert, talking about um Buddhist Tibetan traditions. Uh, talking about the happy, the happy generation, mm-hmm. the happy generation. Meanwhile, so it's you know a medium shot right on these two guys at the table with a table full of food. Oh, I didn't like, even like, notice that. Edge I was to so edge, distracted. there's just danishes and toasts and ham. Oh, I didn't notice just, like, that. It's it's jam packed full of food. And then yeah. behind them, so they're still kind of in focus, but obviously not what is like our main thing in the in the frame is this. This barbershop quartet in full regalia, right? Like the flat top hats. that Striped blazers. Striped blazers. It was very Music Man. Um, Smoking. Chain smoking and singing at the same time. For the entire... And it's a two, three minute scene. Mm -hmm. And they're just like fucking smoking and singing the entire time. I don't understand what they're supposed to be doing at that table. Because at first I was like... To me, it's David Lynch saying smoking is beautiful. Really? David Lynch loves smoking. Like, it's not even just like, this is a thing I like to do. It ha- like, he's a proponent of like, you're wrong if you don't smoke. <laughs> and I think he's really just trying to like, look, it's just beautiful. I mean, he's not wrong. Yeah. Like, people who smoke look dope as fuck. Yeah. I don't smoke. You don't smoke. But yeah. like, yeah, it's kind of undeniable. Like, mm-hmm. if you look at any like mm, 70s or before most people look cool smoking true but if you look at any movie like 70s and before mm-hmm. and all the people are smoking you're like fuck yeah. Uh, yeah 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 dude you can wear a fedora and you can smoke and look cool mm-hmm. those things and are then back on. in the day it covered like i i don't like the smell of cigarettes or whatever but like i'd prefer that prefer that to the like the bo of we have it's 100 in- degrees <laughs> we have nobody has an deodorant air, air, yeah nobody has air conditioning <laughs> nobody has deodorant nobody's showered in four days yeah like yeah, smoke, think, smoke them, smoke them up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, um, okay. Anyway, so during breakfast, Cooper explains Buddhist uh, Tibetan traditions and history to an uninterested Albert. 
Um, Albert (laughs) tries to, like, rail him back. This is a great transition of Albert's character, too. Yes. He's starting to... He's still Albert, Mm -hmm. but he's lightening up in, in a way that seems genuine. Like, okay... I I need to stop pushing so hard on, uh, on you with everything in my hard ass ways, mm-hmm. but I'm still gonna crack wise. From Do you now. think that there is something about like the quote unquote magic of Twin Peaks that gets around to Albert, or do you think he just as a character is like, all right, I respect Cooper, and I don't want to like dog him anymore? I think enough people have confronted him about it. Mm. So you think it, it's? I yeah, I don't think it's. I kind of like to think that, like, when you're at the longer you're at Twin Peaks, the more you're well, sort of maybe. But I think it's more like he's always talking about however backwoods and stupid. But like, meanwhile, they found out a lot of shit. Yeah. In a week, mm-hmm. this is a little over a week at this point. Like, okay, maybe they're not like maybe they don't go, and they've done it without the resources that like the FBI. Has. Right. Yeah, man, that's a thing worth remembering that this is the ninth or 10th episode. Nobody knows for sure. And, <laughs> and everything is basically like you said, one episode is one day. Yeah. So this is within two weeks that all yeah. of this has happened, yeah. which and is, and they've gotten a world of information and they're just this small town uh-huh. sheriff department. And they've done incredible work mm-hmm. with, very minimal resource. Yeah. Um, Albert tells Cooper the results of Jacques Renault's autopsy and states that Jacques was snuffed with a pillow on the killer ward. That's a great scene, too, by the way, when he starts listing off the things he found in his stomach. Oh, I don't remember that. He starts listing, and then he's like, and then there was a, you know, a can and a small, like, and a license plate and a small... Is wooden, he a goat? A small wooden boy that named Pinocchio. And, his, and then Cooper just, like, lights up with this moment of, like, you're making a joke. Oh, like, yes, 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 and, yes. I was, and, yes. In a lighthearted way of, like, are you coming around to we this did? way of life? Yeah. Like, do, are you understanding how beautiful this place is? And you're, you're, not, you're not opposed to be here and all that stuff? It's great. I, I love it. You're making a joke. So good. <laughs> um, he says that Jacques was snuffed with a pillow. The killer wore gloves and the tape used to bind his wrists. Well, wrist was stolen from a hospital supply cabinet. Albert says the mill fire was arson with Leo Johnson being the prime suspect. Albert then reports that Wyndham Earl, uh, Cooper's former partner, was who was institutionalized, has vanished into thin air. Uh, this is the first mention of Wyndham Earl, who yeah, is going to come back around. I swear... Every time I watch this show, I forget how early they introduce him. Yeah. And like, if you ever, if you ask me if down the road when I haven't watched this in a while, when do they introduce him? I think I could place it in this episode, but it's still, I was like, catches me second off guard. Episode, second episode, second season. Yeah, it's, and they, the, the way they introduce him of just like, just laying a little, little cr- breadcrumb. Yeah. Put a, put a pin in this. This is going to come back later. Mm-hmm. Because they don't, I don't think they mention him for another few more episodes at least yeah i don't know but it's it's a great little like we 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 had this like a good reminder that like later when you get into the window Merle heavy stuff and the show isn't as good it's a good reminder that like this was still this it feels like well window Merle is shoehorned in mm-hmm. and it wasn't but he was it, it was at least introduced like they had ideas for him out the gate which is this is a good reminder of that yeah. Um, okay, so then we pan across the Great Northern. 
uh, we see one of my favorite things is extras getting like their moment in the sun and there's a waitress holding a coffee uh, carafe <laughs> who's talking very animatedly to two old white dudes at a table, which I just yeah. love that for her. Like she knew this was her moment and she was talking the fuck out of that scene. Uh, and then we pan to, we get to- I always to, love those scenes because nine times out of 10, they're both talking at the same time. <laughs> oh my God. And doing like, it reminds me of being like a freshman in high school in a musical of like doing like fake talking and I talk with my arms like this, you <laughs> yeah, know, how yeah. I usually talk. So I did a lot of good arm work for it those of you who couldn't see me. Thank you, Michael. Um, and then we get to an Asian guy who's reading, uh, in the Great Northern, reading a paper and kind of watching Cooper. Yeah, he was- is he the same one who we saw on the phone? On the phone, yeah, the payphone in the Great Northern earlier too. Yeah, um, you'll find out more about him coming mm. up, but yeah, okay. I'm they're just teasing a new character, which is fun to see. I am very excited to talk about this next scene. Um, so we cut to uh, Donna, who is carrying a uh, a tray. Like it's, a, <laughs> I love that it's Wheels on Wheels, but it's straight up and down. Looks like a like. Hotel service, like room it's like service, a cafeteria tray with like those metal, yeah. Hotel, <laughs> I, top. Just, I yeah. love that. Um, and so she gets in, she has food for Mrs. Tremond. Um, there's a little boy wearing a jacket and a bow tie, he sits near the door. Um, they don't really go into depth on this, but so it's Miss Tremond, who is this actress who has been playing Her name's Frances Bay, she's been playing a 95 year old woman for <laughs> yeah. 40 years, yeah. She's wasn't is she Happy Gilmore's mother? She's Happy Gilmore's grandma. Yeah, grandma. And, and I just feel like any Happy Gilmore's. I mean, I guess God Happy yeah, Gilmore's Gilmore old now. Yeah. Um, but she comes back. She's in Firewalk with me. Nineteen ninety six is Happy Gilmore. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's been playing that for and she's forty years. Yeah, for sure. So good at it. She's like great. she's so 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 good. Is she still? Oh, she died in twenty eleven. Huh. God, she was married for from 1946 to 2002. Ew, do you think we're going to be married that long? Thanks. You're not going to live that long. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play this at your funeral so everybody's happy yep. that you die. <laughs> um, and so there's a little boy Hi, there. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. <laughs> there's a little boy um, wearing jacket and bow tie. And if you think he looks like David Lynch, guess why? Because he also sounds like David Lynch. <laughs> um, so he's David Lynch's son, which every time I... Yeah, this is Austin Lynch. Can I say, and I don't know what this is supposed to mean, but it is wild to me that David Lynch did something so pedestrian as have a kid. Uh, he's got a few kids. It's too, just yeah. like, just he seems like so in his own world and... Mm. Like, it's not like, oh, David Lynch is like a non-sexual person. Like, that's not it. But it's just like... He just seems so not self-absorbed, well, but like absorbed in his sort of world yeah. that he creates. So it's wild for him to like be potty training There's a kid. Like I've seen interviews and stuff with like Jen Lynch, his oldest daughter, mm-hmm. um, who wrote oh, Secret yeah, Diary yeah, yeah. Laura Palmer and stuff, and she's talked very openly about like was he about dad? He not. Bad because when he's there, he's good. He's just not present. Exactly like you said. Like he just when he's on, when he's got a whim to go do something, he yeah. just does it. Yeah, he. I I think I just have David Lynch in my head as this sort of like 
he's his own person. He would not be mm-hmm. tied down to somebody both because he's not and, interested in and because he's dated or married and whatever like multiple times. Like they're not it's not like he's been married for 40 years and the wife his wife takes care of the children or whatever. Like he just yeah, like it's it's a very interesting dynamic, but he's been married four times. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Mary Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Peggy Lynch, his mm-hmm. first wife. Uh, 67 to 74 Mary Fisk 77 to 87 Mary Sweeney yikes 2006-2007 and then Emily Stoffel mm-hmm. who looks to be my age which doesn't make me feel super great I'm just going to go ahead and check this out and see how old she is and judge everybody accordingly he just had a kid like a few years ago mm, yeah like in the last five Oh, and years. he was with Isabel Rossellini for a yeah, long time. Yeah, he dated for a long time. Yeah. But he's, that's exactly, like he's, I, and I, from what I've gotten, like the fact that him and Isabella Rossellini, Rossellini still talk, mm-hmm. him and his, his ex-wives still talk, as far as I know, like it was, it was very much one of those that like. Oh, she's born in 78, so they she's were, about your age. They were married based on infatuation. Mm-hmm. And realize that, like, I can't, this doesn't work. You're not here. You're not what I need out of a husband. I cannot imagine being. Yeah. And I and I feel like they've, every instance of that seems to me like it was a very mutual, like, okay. That's yeah. What, like, but, like, I'm, I've never, like, I've, I've watched some David Lynch stuff. I've read up on David Lynch. I still don't know. Like, we talk about, I've had the conversation of, like, who would break your heart if they were me too or whatever. Oh, like, sure. And it's one of those that like, I honestly don't know if I'd be surprised or not. He's got such a weird personality mm-hmm. and like you watch some of his movies and I was like, yeah, he could very well be a scumbag. Yeah. But then you hear Laura Dern and, and Naomi Watts and all these powerful women just gush over how wonderful of a guy he but is. But also, like, they tend to, uh, predators tend to not target the powerful women of in course, their life. Of course, that's true. That's true. But, like, it's it's just a really fascinating, he's, he's an well, interesting, interesting man. I think we, as a sort of culture, are sort of dealing with a reckoning of what we are willing to deal with from artists. And I don't know that there's a right answer. And, and I think the answer is more individualized than mm-hmm. anything else of, you know, the, yeah, I, I don't know. There's just like a lot of people who I would be disappointed, but not necessarily surprised if they yeah. got me too, for lack of a better, better word. But like, I don't know. I think people like Louis C.K. were, for me, were really hard because the way he did his comedy was very personal and you felt like you knew him. Mm. And so it felt like being betrayed by somebody you kind of know. Whereas whereas somebody like, say, Woody Allen, like, yeah, we could kind of see he was a monster from a few yards off. I mean, I feel the same way about Louis C.K. Like, yeah. allegations about him have been rolling around since you knew but, who Louis C.K. was. Yes, yes, yes. But I'm saying if, if you took all those things aside, I'm just saying, like, just based on his comedy. Like, Patton Oswalt sure. is kind of how I feel about okay. that. Of, like, the way he does comedy is I feel like I've gotten a tr- – John Mulaney is another one. Like, I feel like I kind I of get insight yeah. into your life as opposed to, like, a um, f- uh, Mitch Hedberg who – his comedy feels a little more separated his, from who he was, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, he jokes about 
things. Yes. And like language is a joke. Yes. And he's, yeah. And then bridging the gap between those two styles of comedy is George Carlin. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. And and I don't know. I, I feel like David Lynch, and I don't have as much sure. emotional importance to David Lynch. I did not know who he was. Again, cannot be clear enough. I thought, <laughs> thought he and David, David Fincher. Fincher were the same person up until, I'm going to say 2012, 2013. Um, but yeah, I mean, anyway, God, that was a big tangent. Anyway, all that's to say his son is in this scene. Yep. So this is our first introduction. So if this is your first, I'm, I'm actually really curious. If anybody is listening to this and this is their first time listening to Twin Peaks, I would really be interested to hear. I'm, I'm just curious. Like, we don't have a ton of listeners. I'm very curious if we have any, any listeners who are genuinely watching for the first time and mm. using this. At, like the way I watch, like, I, Claudius and John Hodgman yeah. and Elliot Kalin did a thing about that. Um, because this is our first introduction to cream corn slash what do we don't even have garbambosia yet they didn't that, use the word that word i doesn't even, like honestly this is the only reference to as far as i can recall the only reference to cream corn until but firewalk can you imagine watching watching the show for the first time listening to this podcast and having some idiot like me say this is our first reference to cream <laughs> corn what have you gotten yourself into yeah and then and don't <laughs> worry they don't talk about it again to the movie Oh, it's a what and then and then it becomes big in season three like yeah. um yeah so the, oh god I, <laughs> I i really do like there's chunks of this episode that i absolutely adore that so we've got um not laura what's her name um um donna donna was, okay donna brought this like tray of food in her name's laura in real life okay well <laughs> let's pretend i got that mixed up and not just i can't remember names um so she brings in this plate, and it has chicken, rice, and cream corn on it. And Mrs. Uh, Tremont, is that how they Tremont, say it? Tremont. Yeah. Tremont says, and again, and I wouldn't have noticed this if you hadn't pointed it out, she says it twice. She says, is well, that, do you see creamed corn? Yes. But the editing in that sequence, too, of she looks at it, is taken aback. She's aghast at looking at the plate. You don't see the plate right away. Right. She looks at Donna and says, do you see cream corn on that plate? Like in a way that's like, maybe I'm crazy. And she Oh, goes, I read that as and an old bitch who I was waiting tables on and asked for no onions. Sure. Do you see onions on that plate? Yeah. Because I've had that happen IRL. <laughs> do you, but do you see onions? And she's like, yeah, there's cream corn. Then, then you cut down and you see it. You see it full of cream corn on the plate. Mm. Then cut back up to... Mrs. Tremon, and she says, do you see cream corn on that plate? But, like, slightly differently. Oh, I thought it was the same. Maybe and I Donna, it wrong. And Donna, like, like, is it still there? And then Donna looks down, and, and then it's it's gone. not only gone, but, like, it was never there. Well, except like, it's, for... It's perfectly segregated out and clean. That's the thing is... So it wasn't like someone scooped it up. Yes. Like, it's, it, it wasn't there. Yes, but there was a, a place for it still. Right. It's there not was, like all of a sudden it's half There was a place rice. for it, but there was no remnants of it having yes. been there previously. Right, right, right. right. And uh, then it cuts over to Austin Lynch, who doesn't have a name, his character. He doesn't. And he's I'm just looking. holding his cupped hands full of cream corn. Miss? Oh, hi. Sometimes things can happen just like this. Cream corn. Do you see cream corn on that plate? 
I requested no cream corn. Do you see cream corn on that plate? No. My grandson is studying magic. It's, it's wild. And Mrs. Truman says, my, oh, it's so eerie. And this is like. Especially, and then they, and then he, he warns you of that early too. When before the whole cream corn exchange, the kid is he, he looks up and says that he slouched in his chair in a very creepy way. And he just, and he says that line about sometimes things can happen just like. Yes. And that's, and you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? And then they do the whole cream corn. Then you see it in his hand. And then they cut back to him and his hands are like folded in his lap. So it's gone. Whatever it was, it's gone now. Like it, it's, it's, it's really trippy. Wild. And then Donna's just like, oh, it's a magic trick. Okay. And we, you and I know a handful of. Not to brag. Like really, really good magicians. Yep. Um, it's the lamest brag I have, but it's, it's a brag nonetheless. I mean, like, I mean, yeah, but it's, but it's like legitimately like. Yes. Very, very, very high-end professional yes. magicians. Award-winning. Um, and so I've seen some of their tricks, and some of them are like, yeah, that's mind-blowing. I have no idea how they did it. But I'm not that surprised because I can anticipate what was going to happen is that that thing's not going to be there. have no idea how it happened, yeah. but I can anticipate what the trick will be. Mm-hmm. But I, you watch this, and I, that would have blown my mind. Yeah, and, well, and Donna's just true kind of, magic. And Donna's just kind of like, oh, cool. She's so laissez-faire about it. Cool, cool. So oh, he's into magic? Oh, that's why. And just doesn't even consider. It's it's really, really twisted scene. And I and I, love I really it. like it. I love it. Yeah. Um, she also, she says that she, uh, this isn't in this, but she says, oh, I'm, I'm taking Laura Palmer's place. And she asked Mrs. Uh, Tremond, do you, do you know Laura well? And she says, no. But in a, again, a weird way. Like, not necessarily creepy, but just like, uh, th- like, I think that's what, when, when, when I like what Lynch is doing, it's shit like this that isn't scary, but unsettling. And yeah. I think Lynch, I mean, obviously. And it, and it comes back a little bit later when they go to the, Laura or um, Donna and Cooper go to this house again. Yes. And well, the, yeah. things change. So that's playing into the... It's setting that whole thing up. Um, so the boy says something in French, which I... It's not that I don't speak Je French. Solitaire. Thank you. Because like it's that's not that I... French pronunciation ever, but It's yeah. not that I don't speak French. It's that I can't speak French. Just the words don't... Could you just, like, bring my bottle over to me, too? Just in case of an emergency. Mikey and I are both drinking wine out of different bottles, because that's just sort of who we are as a couple. Mikey likes Pinot Noir. I like Cabernet. We're bougie as fuck, I guess. Je Solitaire. What does that Something mean? Something like... You... Oh, I, I just don't, Googled I mean, it. I can tell you, but we find out specifically what it means later. I don't know that it's going to ruin anything. Okay, then I won't. So it's up to you, mm. but... Um, yeah, I saw the translation. It sounds familiar, so I'm just going to leave it okay. at that. Um, so Donna... Uh, so they... How does... Mrs. They This like this whole thing is just in a little paragraph on TwinPeaks.Fandom.com. Um, but why is she asking about Mr. Smith? So she Donna asks if she knew if Tremont 
knew Laura, and she said she didn't know her well. But as Donna's getting ready to leave, she says, you might want to check with Harold Smith oh, across okay. the street. She says he Mr. And, Smith. Yeah, sorry. Mr. Smith, he and Donna, or he and Laura were friends. Okay. Yes, yes. Okay, do you remember um, that? And so, so Donna she goes, goes over, over there, there, knocks. Someone peeks through the blinds, but there's no interaction. And, and she so leaves she leaves a little note. Um, okay, so we cut over to uh, Ronette's hospital room, which Mikey brought this up last episode. He got this and a yeah. couple, another hospital scene. Well, because the framing of it is exactly the same. Yes. It's, it's behind Ronette's head on the bed, mm-hmm. facing the door. They walk in, you know, top right corner of the frame to bottom left corner towards the bed. And I was sure. like, oh, I just remembering one of the funniest moments in all of Twin Peaks. I, and, I, and I love this scene. I know I've said this a few times, but I also always want to like frame this as like, I am not a Dine the Wool Twin Peaks fan. I'm not a huge Lynch fan the way Mikey mm-hmm. is. So I really like to point out like the episodes and the bits that I genuinely enjoy because like I said, when Lynch does this like creepy, the creepiness of the uh, Mrs. Tremont scene, I think it's perfect to me. It's mm-hmm. exactly what I want and like something that's not scary but eerie and off-putting this is my kind of comedy it is subtle and stupid and not like non-linear it doesn't have anything to do with the scene but so um cooper and harry come in and they're trying to pull up these stools next to runnett's (laughs) hospital bed and are trying to figure out how to they're they're way too tall they're they're genuinely like you can see them over her bed and her body so they're like a foot too tall so they're both trying to figure out how to make them shorter, which the results moment, the in them reading. The Harry puts his hand on the top of it and just starts spinning it, hoping well, that that does it is great. And they're reading the instructions on the stool. Meanwhile, Cooper can't bend over the thing because he's been shot. So he's just like leaning over it like, oh. I, I, this needs to be lower, but I can't. I can't, I can't figure anything. it out. And I can't bend over the thing because it hurts too much. <laughs> What this reminds me of is yeah. So yesterday, um, I there's kind of a field by in our like townhouse mm-hmm. complex, and I met a couple of my friends over there. And we had like a social distance picnic because we need to see human people, otherwise yeah, we'll lose overrated. our fucking mind. Um, and Holly, my one friend, bought, brought <laughs> this. Um, it's a thing you would put up at a beach, right? It's like a thing with a cover over it, so it's like a tent, a half a tent. Does that make sense? Like a roof tent? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Like Like a shade. Just a Yeah, like a shade thing. And she brought that, and Emily was sitting at that. And I text Mikey, like, okay, we're on our way home. And then Holly was like, okay, I'm just going to pack this thing up. It's from Ikea. And it took us collectively 30 minutes to get it back (laughs) in the bag. And don't worry, I took a time-lapse video of it because I thought (laughs) it was so fucking funny. Um, but it was genuinely, it was yeah. just, it was so old school comedy of like, you might as well put yakety sax behind it. I'm just like, them, and they're burr, trying burr, to be burr, polite burr, burr, while it's burr, happening. Burr, 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 and they're trying burr. to be quiet about it. Yeah. Because, but the quiet part is so good. Because the, the stools are like, squeak, squeak. Yeah, and yeah. like, we're just, just going to, we're just going to try to make this. Here's shorter. what's also great about that. So this is the third real scene in the episode. Yeah. Scene one, they set up. Ronette is awake from yes. a coma. She's not speaking yet, but I believe she's going to have a story to tell. Like, boom. You plant the seed. 
Ronette's going to have incredible information when she comes to. So there's a great story to tell there. You move on to this other super creepy, weird scene, and you start to make that connection that the story Ronette's going to tell in this creepy, weird shit, Ronette's going to get some really dark, creepy stories. So mm-hmm. they're going to come in, and they come in, the door opens, it's dark, they're in shadow. We're about to get something real, real creepy from yes. Ronette Pulaski. Yes. And instead, you get this fucking minute and a half long insane scene where they struggle with chairs. Yes, you end up getting a really creepy moment with Ronette. Mm -hmm. She comes to, she's screaming about the train car. You've got images of Bob flashing. Mm -hmm. It's a terrifying sequence. And he, instead of just giving that to you, he's like, I got to fuck with you first. It's it's and beautiful. It's, and it's, it's a just beautiful, a great. It's an interesting yeah. way to play with your emotions. Yeah. Of like, okay, you're not going to get too dark. You're not going to get yeah. too light. We're just going to walk this weird line. And that's I think. And I feel like when people talk about the lasting effect of Twin Peaks, to me, there's other shows that like do dark and do funny and do mm-hmm. whatever as well as Twin Peaks. I've never seen anything that balances them all so well. Within the same scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, there's genuinely funny, like, knee-slapping moments. Mm -hmm. And then there's genuine fear and genuine sadness Mm -hmm. and genuine elation. Like, there's these, all of these moments come into place so well. Yeah. And It's a journey. Yeah. And I feel like every other show is... You know, lost, picks lane. lost picks the yeah yeah. There's going to be jokes once in a while, but it's not funny. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's creepy and weird I, or whatever. Well, but like you know, I, I'm going to push back on that. I I think that shows like Lost or even you're watching Hannibal for the first time. Mm-hmm. They they try to have some levity and add some humor, but never do I see a show where they try to do it within the same scene. Yeah, or. Like, I there mean, are some scenes in Lost that are genuinely very funny. But also the same thing. But they're standalone they'll, scenes. They'll do both. They'll do it within the same scene. And then they'll have just, like, this episode was fucking hilarious. Yeah. Like, Lost is never going to do that. Hannibal's never going to do that. I don't know. Um, okay, so we're in Ronette's room. They adjust the stools. They sit next to Ronette's bed. Um, so Ronette isn't talking, right? She's awake, but, she's but still in shock. And yeah. so they are going in saying, we're trying to figure out who did this to Ronette. And so we have pictures to show her. We're going to see how they she reacts. They specifically want to show her Bob, the photo, the, the, the drawing of Bob, the drawing of Bob from um, Sarah Palmer's vision mm-hmm. and Leo, Leo, because Leo was there and they know that. Right. And they're, they're basically trying to determine who the third man is. Right. Um, so Cooper, so she sees the picture of Leo or the drawing of Leo. That wasn't him. And then Cooper shows her the sketch of Bob and Ronette wrecks violently. Like mm-hmm. she, she starts almost seizing up in a mm-hmm. way and starts yelling about trains. She's trying to Like she's trying to break the, yeah, out of, yeah. her, break out of. She's trying to run. She's, yes. Yeah. It's fight or flight. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to laugh, and I wasn't laughing at Ronette. But the way this is... This is the paragraph. In Ronette's room, Harry and Cooper read the instructions before adjusting the stools and sit next to Ronette's bed. Ronette denies that it was Leo. 
that Leo is the man who hurt her, and when Cooper shows her the sketch of Bob, Ronna reacts violently. Jerry and Ben deba- debate the merits of burning the real or faked ledger and decide to toast marshmallows instead. Just is one paragraph. No, no segue that we've moved on to a different scene. No, no, no. Meanwhile, back at the Great Northern. No. I, it was just genuinely jarring. I yet, yet another great scene as well, though. The Jerry and Ben scenes are... Here's the thing about the Jerry and Ben scenes. I think if you lifted them out of this show, you wouldn't miss anything. Because they don't necessarily really move the plot along. It's not like Jerry is a, a an exposition device for Ben. He just sort of shows up, is wearing or holding or saying something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> ben talks at him. Here's what this scene is in my mind. And this is what I love about it. Okay. This is an apology from David Lynch. This is a, I'm sorry about the mill plot line. (laughs) None of it mattered. None of this has any real weight on what you wanted. And this is how it feels to me when they're sitting there like, do we burn this one? Do we burn this one? Doesn't fucking matter. You spent all this time investing time. What are you doing? You've been texting like the whole time. I'm not texting. I'm tweeting. Don't worry about it. I'm listening to you. Um, so they, they spend the entire time in season one with this batshit plot line that's mm-hmm. really, really hard to make straight and keep track of and follow. But we might I don't, have I still, gotten it. We, we came up with something that can potentially work, but I don't think it's but didn't accurate. didn't somebody tweet, us, tweet at us and say, like, you missed this whole thing? And we're like, well, fuck Prob- it. Well, no, I had a realization later of oh. they wanted the paper to read, they wanted to pin it on Josie or whatever, and we never mentioned any of that. Point being, the mill plot line is insanely complicated and doesn't really matter, which is what this scene is, is just putting all of it out and saying, okay, there was two ledgers, there was this, there was this, and they're just like, what do we just, what do we burn? What do, it doesn't matter. Just tell me, just tell me what to do so we can move forward. Yeah. And that's, it's it's saying goodbye to that whole plot line. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about it anymore. What do we do to move forward? Let's just fucking cook some marshmallows. Like, that's what it is to me. Like, these... I I love the way they sort of infantilize each other. That as soon as they start talking, they're like, yeah, 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 we can have important business talk. Or marshmallows! Oh, everything's always over food. (laughs) It is all over... Hey, what was Jerry... Was that supposed to be chicken? Because it looked like a a plastic figurine. Smoked cheese. Smoked cheese pig. So it was cheese, a cheese brick in the shape of a pig, smoked. Oh, is that what it was? Okay, I I heard all of those words, but I thought it was like a pig smoked with cheese, which I don't like. I don't smoke things, so I don't understand how any of that shit works. So it was a, a thing of cheese that he was yeah, eating. Yeah, it's like a, but it's probably like smoked like, gouda or whatever. Okay, but, but it's shaped like a pig. A pig, not even a pig, like a pig limb, right? No, or was it, it a pig? It was shaped like a little body, but oh, he had was half it? of it eaten. Oh, okay. Well, fuck me then. Um, so anyway, they just <laughs> so they talk. So we have the real ledger, which has the sawmills' actual numbers. We have the fake ledger, which has inflated numbers that say the sawmills doing better than it was. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's the, not the other way around. The, the real one says it's slowly declining into bankruptcy. The fake one says it's doing well. Okay. Um, and they're deciding which one to burn to get the most insurance money out of. Or something. The the best selling price from Josie. Oh, okay. 
And my favorite part and then, is when oh, we're... then but Pete has to sign off on it too, and then they're just like, oh, and I Catherine don't even didn't care. sign it, and they're like, who fucking cares if Catherine? That's didn't a little sign bit later, it. but yeah, that was her life insurance, or the... that was the yeah the whole life insurance thing. Remember the guy came and said we missed. A no, signature. I remember that. Yeah. I just don't remember what they're talking about specifically. Yeah, it's um, but it's all of it. Point the the point to take away is don't take anything out of this. Well, what that's, I liked that's how about I it, always read it, and I think this lends itself to your point is at one point they're like, "Burn both, burn both, yeah, let burn both." Yeah. Who fucking cares? So it would appear that both books have merit. <laughs> like it's so like this slow delivery of like nothing matters. <laughs> Move um, on. Forget about this storyline. And so Ben walks over to his desk and pulls out a fucking bag of marshmallows. Mm-hmm. Like, eh, we got a fire though. Ben, where are those hickory sticks? <laughs> it's so good. It's so weird. It, like, the only thing it does is elevate the tone of this show. Like, yeah. it does nothing to the plot. It's yeah. just like, hey, you want to see something but fucking that's, weird? That's what makes this like, if a, if a scene is unimportant. Sorry. Make it interesting. Sure. And I think... And I feel like that's a problem with a lot of shows now is Lost, for example. They have these, like, tangential storylines. Now it's 10 years old. Well, like, now that we're talking about it. But they have these tangential storylines where none of it really matters to the overarching story of the plot that you're interested in. But it's boring. But yeah, they make it uninteresting, too. And this is at least like, yeah, this is at least quirky and I'm yeah. enjoying what's happening. doesn't mean anything, but that's fine. I don't know. I think, um, I think Ben, uh, the actor whose name is, I can't think of it, from... Richard Beamer? Richard Beamer from uh, West Side Story is... Tr- and he's going to do some wild shit in this season. <laughs> yeah. But I think this he's is, such a good... We'll take a vote at some point of the worst plot lines of season two. Mm-hmm, 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 and mm-hmm. his is... And it, there's going to be his some is contention a contender. There. His is a contender, his tangential storyline. But it's probably my favorite of the bad storylines. Yeah. Well, I think that just lends itself into to Richard Nikki Beamer. And Evelyn and yeah, I think that just things. lends itself to like Richard Beamer being an incredibly charismatic and guy. If nothing else, it was the excuse to get Richard Beamer and um um Jacoby. Oh, oh uh, fuck. Um Ross nope. Russ Russ Tamlin. Russ Tamlin, thank you. I blanked for a minute. It, it was nobody ex- could tell you covered it up really well <laughs> <laughs> super smooth call me Vin Scully um, got got the two that's apparently the first like radio person I could think of yeah I, like anyway. I'm not impressed but I liked it yeah I don't know. Uh, but it was it was the excuse that let them be back in a scene together for the first time since West Side Story which I thought was kind of interesting oh my god it's such a delight anyway um Okay, so so we cut to the Double R Diner. I say cut to a lot. Is that the right word? Okay. We got to the Double There's R Diner. I think a commercial break in between. Sure. A com- we commercial break to the Double R Diner. Um, Andy, God, this scene is maybe three minutes of Andy trying to tape this poster to the door. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it is... And Major Briggs is sitting at the at the counter and he's looking back at him like, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? So I'm curious, and maybe you might be able to answer this. You may not be able to. Probably not. Um, they're in this... But the answer might be at 25yearslatersite.com. 
there in this particular episode there seems to be a lot of very slapsticky comedy so we have the like fucking with the the stools and trying to mm-hmm. do that it's all physical it's all very silly mm-hmm. it all feels very like silent movie-esque mm-hmm. um and so we have andy trying to use um tape to put up the have you seen this man the bob poster mm-hmm. and it is he's got like a wad yeah. of tape around his hand. It's on his head. Big piece on his forehead. Yeah, and it's his. And I'm curious. Do you know if this is if this is Lynch's or Frost's or Harley whatever's Harley Payton? Um, I, this is. I feel like this is very. Here, the problem is this is this is David Lynch. This is when you say Lynchian, mm-hmm. it's that mixture of the macabre. Mm-hmm. With absurdity comedy, absurdist comedy, I should say. Um, that combination of things is Lynch. what we determine or what we call Lynchian, but, by definition. Just really quick, I feel like I haven't seen that many Lynch movies, but I've seen Mulholland Drive. I've seen Oof, The Elephant Man. An Elephant Man and is, I feel like, is early in his career. But I feel like a lot of his films that I've seen don't have that strain of humor through them. They're more Mall just... Drive does. Does it? There's Maybe that scene. The, the guy. guy from Lost, the guy who plays Jacob, is there's Jacob. an entire scene where he shoots through a wall and it shoots some woman in the ass in the other room and he's stumbling around and it goes on for okay. way too All right. long. Maybe I just there's, forgot about there's, that. There's, there's, there's several sequences in I just feel like what there. I've seen from Lynch yeah. in his films have been very dark that's and what, that's, deeply weird. I think that's just what you remember. Oh, yeah. Actually, that probably is it. Yeah. Because um, when I think of Twin Peaks, I don't think some, of the slapstick Sometimes comedy it's of, things where you're like, it's... You can interpret this as comedy or horror. Mm. Sometimes it's things like if you watch um, like a racer head, like the, the the lady in the radiator, yeah, is that. the type of thing where this is fucking weird and it's hilarious. You totally or like, hate it. Holy shit, this is terrifying. I, There's a lot of those things where you don't know how to interpret it. We haven't talked about this, but after we get through Twin Peaks, which is going to be honestly Forever. like eight months at yeah. least, do we want to try to like dig into his maybe. filmography? Sure, maybe. or maybe we'll just if be sick of each other by you. then. Uh, we'll figure it out, but but um, where was I going with that? Um, slapstick comedy with Lynch. Oh, the problem with that, I think, is that with what? With this David Lynch style and the slapsticky comedies. Okay. The when other directors came in late into season two, primarily mm. tried to do David Lynch, and they would cling on to that slapstick comedy. Mm-hmm. And they would do like full episodes, but it, none every so every one of those slapstick moments that you see has a counter. Yes. So yes. there's, the, oh, they fuddle with the chairs for a minute and a half, and then Ronette reveals this terrifying traumatic experience. You know, there's the creepy scene with the cream corn, and then, you know, whatever they everything kind of has a counter, and that's the beauty of it is that it goes back and forth. It's mm. a teeters like that the later directors and writers and whatever who do these later episodes that fail typically fail because they lean really heavily on the slapstick and they're like this is quirky and weird it must be twin peaks Mm -hmm. it must be david lynch like and 
sorry, nobody can do David Lynch but David Lynch. No, no, I, I think you're you're absolutely right, and I think there is something about when you watch an episode like this and you think like, if you're a director or or even a writer, what can I glom on to? Like, yeah. what what can I kind of imitate, right, or emulate? And it's the slapstick comedy, and like. Maybe if Lynch had directed that, which I don't want to get too much in the latter episodes because we're going to do plenty of that Mm -hmm. and there's going to be plenty of wine for that, those Mm -hmm. episodes. Do you still want to try to do two at a time? I think we should keep doing one at a time. I I like one at a time if you're game. Yeah. You, Mikey, when we started talking about this, Mikey was like, maybe we can do the mid second season in like two episodes, (laughs) like four episodes. We can maybe do it two at a time for ourselves, like, Watch one, record an episode. Watch another, record an episode. Oh, and see if people can tell which one we're more drunk burn, for. Burn them out. Yeah. So we're definitely going to... Yeah, the part two on all of those, we're going to be all real, real bit drunk. A real bit drunk <laughs> is what my husband said. So, okay. So we're at the Double R di- Diner. Andy has trouble taping the sketch of... <laughs> hey, I didn't realize until I was reading all of this, is Bob always all caps? Always, always? Yeah. I never realized that until He's I was referred to uh, uh, that way, and I don't know. I don't know why or how that came to be. Is Mike as well? I don't know. Okay. I don't see Mike written out very often. It just but Bob is capitalized and or referred to as Killer Bob a lot too, and I don't. I don't know that it means anything, but okay, yeah, it's just like just reading. I how like often throughout. Do you read? I think that's a thing that came out of um, the Secret Diary of Laura Palmer. Always all caps. It's always in all caps in that book. And I don't think Mike is ever mentioned in that book. Mm, okay. So it might be a sure. thing that came out of that. But like, oh, this is the first time we see it written down for any mm. reason. So um, so at the Double R Diner, blah, 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 sketch of Bob, caption, have you seen this man? Um, so we go into the Double R Diner. And I think, man, are there two characters you love more than the Log Lady and Major Briggs? Oh, I'm so glad they get a scene together. I'm really glad. Honestly, like, I don't... If it weren't for you, I would not have any strong emotions toward Major Briggs, but I love your love for Major Briggs, and therefore I love Major Briggs. It genuinely breaks my heart that he died before season Mm -hmm. three, because they clearly were going to write him into some really, really interesting stuff. Yeah, and we talked last week that we, we... And they even still managed to incorporate him... Yes. In season three, More it's, than it's really and truly like he's one he's of one of like three Forget the central characters in yeah. that series, and he's never in it. He, yeah. Um, so the log lady and Major Briggs are sitting next to each other at the Double R Diner. They're drinking their coffee in those like tall plastic coffee they're, mugs. They're porcelain, but they're are like, they porcelain? They look plastic. They're maybe. they're white on the inside. They are like a they're a triangle with a foot. <laughs> Like a wine glass would, but then they're like a triangle. They start small and then yeah. like a flute kind of. Yeah, very flute. They're a very fast. specific type of, you can buy them. <laughs> Not that you've looked into yeah. it. But they're the, the specifically the double R glasses that they use. Um, Norma, so if you remember in the last episode, we saw the log lady just like fucking. St- what that's we thought was her song. gum. It is her gum. It's pitch. But pitch gum. They call it pitch gum. But I mean, but the pitch was the thing that was at the beginning of the log lady yeah. speak speech afterwards. So it's not like she's chew, chewing like Wrigley gum. Oh, like yeah. she's chewing pitch gum. But like also, that's the only thing she does in the previous episode. Oh, that's is fucking sit there Ed. and then like spit her gum out, yeah. smack it on the wall. Norma asks log lady to spit her gum in the ashtray rather than on the counter, or which as she did last which, week. On even the w- that is like 
The least you could do is put it in the ashtray. You have a napkin, I, ma'am. I would prefer that you threw it out in a trash can or in your napkin or something. At least That's put too it, much. At least put it in the ashtray, not on the wall. Um, I and she's like taken aback, like so offended. Me, the it. log lady. Um, God, you've never worked at a bar where people dip. It's the fucking worst. Ugh. You have to provide them. You have I have. I have had to provide things. Have you for people before? Yeah. Really? I, I, I swear I've never seen anybody time, dip out but, here. Um, but, but I worked at a bar in yeah. Montana. You had to give them like a plastic cup and you had to put a little napkin or a paper towel in there so it doesn't... So gross. So gross. But, Did I dip hey. a few times? Yeah, because I was 23 and cool and I wanted boys to like me. Do you like me now that I... you know Less. I, definitely less. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, good to know. But I'm going to die soon. <laughs> we can establish <laughs> that, right? So don't worry. Mikey went skateboarding on Friday and <laughs> it was, wait, do you want to talk about your skateboard adventure on Friday? Oh, he's finishing. The thing is he pulled a Jessica because his glass of wine was not anywhere near empty, but he got up and just like, <laughs> now the wine is basically full to the brim. It's not that. It's not Do you want to talk about your shove it? Um, I guess my just, sweet husband. Uh, so, um, I I'm 40 years old right now. Brag. I will be 41 in a month. Listen, we're all shocked that he made it this long. Yeah, right. Uh, but I used to I used to skateboard a lot when I was you know, skinny. <laughs> skinny, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but in my you know, Mikey and I both used to be aggressively skinny, and now yeah. we're not. Would you say? <laughs> no, I would not. Um, so I was in my late teens to my you know, mid-20s. early 20s, mid 20s, I skated pretty heavily. Um, and I've always been interested in it. So I'm always still following skateboarding accounts on He's various things. Constant, I like, skate to and from the office and stuff when I go to the office, which hasn't happened in months. Um, things like that. So I can, I'm so comfortable skating, but I haven't done tricks in a very, very long time. Um, I'm carrying 50 more pounds than I used to. Who among us My knees it? are not nearly what they used to be. My ankles are garbage. But here's the thing. At least you eat like shit. So. Yes, exactly. Um, but anyway, there's a there's a company. It's called The Barracks. It's a kind of a private skate company. It's run by a guy named Steve Barra, who is also a film director. Check out um, The Good Girl, I think it's called. I'll look it up. Steve Barra. B E R R A. He's a director. He did a movie with Zoe Deschanel, Bill Paxton. I think it's called The Good Good Life, something like that. that it's actually good? a very good movie. Um, Is it a good place? I think it's The Good Life. You keep going. I'm going to anyway, do this. The Good they, Life. Yes. There, there was a whole. They've been promoting a lot. There's a woman who her name is Elaine Sh- Shalcross, something like that. Um, she was 68 years old. She died just a couple of months ago, but she had... Good Life t- is 2009. Good Life, yeah. She had terminal cancer and decided at 68 years old, she was going to learn to do a pop shove it, which is a skateboard trick. It is you jump in the air, the board turns 180 underneath you on a horizontal plane. Um so the front of your board becomes the back of your board when you land, essentially. And yesterday, two days ago, would Friday. have been Friday. Would have been her I mean, f- 
Friday. It doesn't matter whenever this. Friday the 10th. Yeah. July 10th. Was her birthday. And that was her goal was to set out to. Do a pup shove To it. do a shove it by her birthday. Um, she died before then, unfortunately. Um, but the the great skate community, which is one of the things I love more than skateboarding itself, is the community that it builds. Um, all reached out and created this viral shove it cancer. Shove it cancer day. And everybody who can skate would go out on the 10th and do a shove it. And hashtag it and whatever, film it and do whatnot. So I got back on my board on Friday and said... So Mikey, I'm gonna even even though that was a trick I never really did. Mm-hmm. So there are tricks that I could probably still do. It might take me a few tries. Jumping is a lot harder. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I haven't tried to do that trick in since I was probably 20. Yeah, so 21, 20 22 yeah. maybe. So pushing 20 years. Um, but I went out. Took me about. 30, 35 minutes, and I got one. It's yeah. not pretty. It's not high. No. It's, it's, but and I got it down, and I did it, and I hashed it, and I was very, very proud of myself. I felt very It was great. It. There was one. I was, the thing is, I, even though Mikey is older than me, every time he, like, goes to skateboard, I'm like, I know you're going to break your, like, you went snowboarding in, mm-hmm. like, February. It's like, just don't break a wrist. I don't know why. I'm sure you're going to break your wrist someday, and I'm going to have to, like, that's type the thing for you. Is, like, that's the one thing I would never break. I feel like because you roll in yeah i i know how to fall yeah. and i don't put my hands down that's yeah. key um wow that was a long tangent and i don't remember you why. invited it I, no no i'm not criticizing anyway, we'll post a link to where you can donate to shove it cancer if you're interested. and we're definitely gonna post to mikey's video of him doing oh, his fine. shove it and you can see how high he gets off the ground more specifically how like as as big as my belly is around, I don't get that high in the air. Let's say that. My belly is bigger than the height of my trick. But I got high enough for the board to do what it needed to do. And he has and 30 straight minutes of, of skateboarding bloopers, which I are mean, mostly him like thing. catching his breath off here's screen. Th- yeah, here's the thing. Straight bloopers means that I just like try, 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 which I did. But there's a good two, three minutes in between each attempt because I'm out of breath. There is one he fully hit the ground. Which you but like in slow motion. <laughs> I've never seen anything go that slowly. I didn't know gravity could work that well, slowly. You watch when you watch old people fall. That's yeah. what it looks like. No one falls hard. You kind of like. Muh! It's anyway. Can we get back to Twin Peaks? Mm. Okay, so we're at the Double R Diner. Log Lady Ender sits next to the counter next to Major Briggs. Norma asks the Log Lady to spit her gum in the ashtray rather rather than on the counter. The log lady tells the major that her log has something to tell him. Um, and she asks, can you can you hear it? And he's like, no. But also, the thing I love about the log lady is everybody's sort of like on board with her jam. It, well, or, or not. Like, she was offended by Cooper initially when they had the, almost the same interaction at the same place in the diner. Uh-huh. Where he was like... She, like she, she said to like ask it, and he was like, "I, I don't know what you want me to do." And she was like, "Okay, fine," and left. Nerd. Yeah, and and what we learn shortly after this scene, by the end of the episode, is Major Briggs deals with the supernatural. Mm-hmm. So this is in his wheelhouse. Yeah. Like, no, I can't hear it, but you tell me what you can. But I hear, understand that, and I'm willing to at least play along for a little while. Right. And you tell me what you want from me right um so the message is deliver the message 
You wear shiny objects on your chest. Yes, I do. Are you proud? No, achievement is its own reward. Pride obscures it. My log has something to tell you. Do you know it? I don't believe we've been introduced. I do not introduce the log. Can you hear it? No, ma'am, I cannot. I will translate. Deliver the message. Do you understand? Yes, ma'am. As a matter of fact, I do. And she asks if the major understands that, and he says yes. Yes, as a matter of fact, I I do, ma'am. Your Whatever. major it's... Briggs really wanders into um... Jimmy. Jimmy. Stewart. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's it's if I if I do the yeah no. It... <laughs> well, it's just so like it's it, it's everything very... is yeah. very delivered yeah. with a very specific yeah. He's know. the fucking best. He's... Okay. And, and that's the best is like there's no judgment there's no it's and, two and he's people like genu- genuinely surprised that like yes I do understand what deliver the message means mm-hmm. it's something I've been contemplating because he's been con- what we find out is that he's been contemplating since Thursday night mm-hmm. if he should tell Cooper that he got the message that the owls are not what they seem yeah which we find out at the end um it's a it's a great scene and then goes on I don't know if this is going to talk about it but it goes on about it's a beautiful speech which is very Harley Payton mm-hmm. um, where he where she asks him about his medals yes. on his chest oh yeah that's not in this but yeah and and she's like do you are you do you feel proud about that and he's like it's not it's not about it's, pride it's not about pr- it's just a beautiful like exchange and I love it and it reminds me of, I just thought of this now, because um, it came up as like he re-Facebooked it from an old memory or whatever, but Christian Hartleben, we met him at Twin Peaks Fest, long hair, um, cool dude. Um, but he actually went through, because he had never seen it before, and took a screen grab of Major Briggs's badges and went through and told you what each in, each individual oh, one are. Interesting. I'll see if I can find that post. Yeah, send it over to me. And maybe, maybe link that. But like each one is like, this is the medal of whatever for this. This is the whatever for this. Like each one of those has a very specific thing. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it matters in the sure. grand scheme of the but show. It, to but me, it shows it, there was thought put into it. It was. And the, it, there wasn't anything where like, well, that's actually a fucking yeah. Afghanistan badge. That right, doesn't right, fucking right. mean, you know what I mean? Granted, that was 96, but, or, or that, 96, right? I said, I meant 90s for when well, the show no, was. Well, no, Mikey is actually a, a, an expert on the <laughs> Afghani I, people and their troubles. I am not. Um, <laughs> Quick sidebar: I'm listening to a podcast. It's about Charles Lindbergh. You know who Charles Lindbergh is. He was the first. You said Lindbergh or Bloomberg? Lindbergh. You said Bloomberg. The second. I didn't, time. but I might be talking quickly and slurring. Okay. Um, he is the first person who flew across the Atlantic alone. Um, it was supposed to take 38 hours for him to get from New York to Paris. Guess how many hours it took him? Think out loud. One. 55. <laughs> what? He got lost. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> um, also, he's a eugenicist. So whatever. Um, 
So the major says he understands. So we're back to the sheriff's office. Another one of obviously my favorite scenes of we all stop is doing this drunk. Uh, or you guys tell us: Are these more enjoyable when we've had a couple? There's or like less 14 enjoyable? people who listen to it, so okay. like the poll is not going to be very wide. Um, and the sheriff's office. This is another one of my favorite scenes with Andy and Lucy when Lucy yes. calls Andy, Officer Brennan. Deputy Brennan. Deputy Brennan. God damn it, I fucked it up. She does both, but I think oh, in this she? one she says Deputy Brennan. Okay, well done. But also, it not only that, it gives weight to the silliness of Andy getting tape all over the place. Because he oh. comes back, he's still got the tape, he of his still has the tape on his and forehead. And she steps up like she's going to kiss him and then rips the tape off his forehead. But and that's at the thing. end of the scene. Yeah. But it, but it like, it so we wasn't know, just silliness for the sake of silliness. It came back as a thing yeah. later, which is what makes it so um, great. So we know that Lucy is pregnant and we assume that Andy's the father because she's the only partner that we've known her to have. Um, and then Andy says that he applied as a sperm donor, a sperm donor to the Tacoma Sperm Bank, which Tacoma because, is a fucking hike from where because they. Because he, as he claimed, it was his civic duty. It's what not jury a duty. Wild bro. thing to say. <laughs> I love it. And also, he likes whales. <laughs> oh my god! Can but you imagine? It's, it's like, not. It's not. This isn't jury duty. You don't have to do it. Could you imagine like searching for a sperm donor and you oh, end up with like so Andy's sperm oh, and you're I like, would love it. oh my God, <laughs> I have I an idiot want. with a receding I... hairline as a son. Yeah. What am I going to do? Oh, but we, oh. <laughs> um, so when he tried to donate to the sperm bank, they said that he was sterile and he could never have babies. I don't know why it made me laugh that every time they, instead of like, I can't have children. I can't have babies, and you're going to have a babies. He said, and and when he says, they said I was sterile. And sure, I thought that meant I didn't have to take a bath. But it actually means that I can't have babies. It's just, uh, it's so so silly. No messages, Deputy Brennan. Listen to me, Lucy Moran. You just listen. When the Tacoma Sperm Bank was looking for donors, naturally, I applied. It's my civic duty, and I like whales. A routine physical examination revealed that I'm sterile. Sure, I thought it meant I didn't have to take a bath, but the doctors told me the truth. They told me I can't have babies. So what I want to know now is why are you having one and how? So he's- But it's also just like... It's silly and stupid and whatever, but like the delivery of it. Oh my god! It's is, a stupid person who is he, genuinely hurt, and he is had clearly been like practicing this in a mirror, like off screen. Mm-hmm. Like you can tell that like this is really hard for him. Yeah. And then Lucy shuts him down, and he's just crushed. Yeah. Like he he was he was, and it gave weight to the fact that he left the scene when. She said that she was pregnant, deadpan, like, yeah. holy shit. But Not because, oh my God, we're going to have a baby, but holy shit, who? And it's... Oh. Yeah. Oh. He doesn't understand, because at this oh. point he knows. So he doesn't understand oh. why why she's pregnant. Oh, when I he guess can't I just assumed babies. he... Fa- okay, no, that makes much more sense than what I found out, that than, than what I assumed, which was... He just found out. No, that makes much more sense. So he's shocked that she's pregnant because 
he can't mm-hmm. get anybody pregnant. Okay. So who else has she been sleeping with? Interessante. Okay. And she still blows him off. So he's yeah. even more like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, which, like, I'm not crazy about this turn for Lucy because she doesn't seem like a cruel person mm-hmm. and he doesn't deserve to be led on. And, like, and to me, if she said, I'm pregnant, it's another man's kid, my understanding of Deputy Brennan is. I don't think she said that. No, if okay. she did say gotcha. that, if yeah. she understood that, like, it was which I guess she couldn't have known that he was sterile. Also, didn't they have birth control in the 90s? Can we? <laughs> Anyway, um, so in the sheriff's office, Truman has Hank sign in. Hank just shows up in Truman's office. He's there to God, check Hank in for his parole. Hank is such a good actor. He's there to check in for his parole. I really like that actor. I do too. And that's what, like, he I actually just watched uh, Gas Food Lodging the other day. It's an Alison Anders movie. And he's in it, and he's great in it. And so is Robert Nepper, who shows up in season three. It's one of the Mitchum brothers. Oh, okay. Uh, but he's excellent in that. He's Chris. I I don't. I really and truly don't know why Chris Mulkey didn't have a greater career. I think he's an, a phenomenal actor. Yeah. Um. So Truman has Hank sign in, tells him to keep it because he's still on parole. Tells mm-hmm. him to keep his nose clean for another week. After Hank leaves, Truman tells Cooper that uh, he and Hank, so Truman and Hank, grew up together, and that Hank used to be a bookhouse boy. Um, and one of the best, according to TwinPeaks.Fandom.com. Like, just great. Uh, uh, gives that character so much more weight. Like, I, he's, mm. he's... Makes him more interesting. Yeah. For so long, I didn't give a shit about Hank. Mostly because he was so tied in directly to the sawmill plotline that I just tossed him into nothingness. But, like, in subsequent viewings and every time in the last... Two or three times I've watched the show, I've just really, really liked his character. Yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily not like his character, but like right, his exactly the portrayal of the character. Yeah, I, I, I find his existence interesting. Yeah. Um. Uh, ben Horn calls reports that Audrey has been missing for two days. And then they have like a dun dun dun, yeah. and Zoom in and Cooper. We're like, yeah, we fucking we know knew, that. Actually. That's not new information, bro. <laughs> like, it's a it's a commercial ending. Yes, ender, exactly. Whatever, but yeah. Um. So then Jerry brings the unsigned insurance policy to Ben and explains that Catherine did not sign it because of the concerns about the benefic- the beneficiary being Josie. They decide to call the Icelanders. <laughs> And After Leland comes up, you should call him, huh? Me? And he's like pointing at himself. Oh my God. I, I told him. I, I'm i the one who told him that the, the mill burned down. Don't worry. Don't worry. Leland like it's just is... a fucking total spaz. What's the Leland actor's name? I can never... Ray Wise. How fucking talented is this man? He's, he's incredible. Like so good. So, so, so good. Everything he's in, he's so good. You know what we should do between second season and third season is watch the... Um, the psych episode, the dual spires. Yeah, I, I, that was when you mentioned like watching David Lynching's, that was the thing in my head is I yeah, want to yeah. watch dual spires yeah. again. I, I think it's a great episode. Um, which if you guys don't watch like it's a genuine delight. It's, it's a true like love letter to yes. Twin Peaks via James Roday. Um, uh, Leland enters Enar. Oh, the, Icelander. Yeah. Enar tells Ben that Leland had called him to tell him about the fire in Ben and Jerry. <laughs> and he points at himself. Mm-hmm. All like, it was me. I'm I'm the Leland. Which Mikey, when that happened, it's me, Jessica, because that's the thing I say yeah. for no specific reason. If I like enter a room, <laughs> it's me, Jessica. Uh, <laughs> 
Um, ben suggests that Liam can find his activities by to prepping his tax return. Which actually works out because this ostensibly takes place in March and that means tax season is happening. Mm-hmm. So good job, Lynch. Really paying attention <laughs> to the details. Uh, Leland then sees a copy of the sketch of Bob and says he knows the man. And he like goes kind of like cold yeah. on it. Uh, says he knows the man. Uh, he lived next door to his grandfather's summer house at Pearl Lakes when Leland was a little boy. Leland leaves to tell the sheriff. Ben asks Jerry to kill Leland. And is that a sincere request or is that just uh, it, it's in jest I I, I, I I can't I couldn't read it because I don't know anymore I think it's one of those that like it's in jest but like excuse me if it happened nobody's mad we'll about figure it, it out yeah, yeah you know like the intention wasn't to kill Catherine yeah but if that's a side but it happened and hey, you know what there goes loose ends we're yeah. fine with it okay pause Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, at the hospital, Doc Hayward shows Leo to Shelly. Oh, so it's a scene. So Shelly's still in her like hospital garb with a robe over it. Um, and he tells her that there's possible brain damage. She got uh, shot in the spine. The bullet was removed, which according to all television, or, you have to get that bullet out of there. May or may not be. Brain I mean, damage. You want to get it removed be paralyzed. In, no, no, I understand. In it's a hospital just, setting. You just don't want to do it in the field or it's whatever. Been, again, we've been watching a lot of Lost, and anytime somebody gets shot, which is a lot, everyone's like, I need to get that bullet out of there. And they like stick their gross, grimy hands into somebody's yeah. bicep. Like, just fucking leave it there. Probably cauterized anything. Anyway. Um, uh, Shelly asks if he is a vegetable. Guys, and Hayward, I hate Lost. Y'all. Oh, my God. If you want to hear us be even drunker and yell with our friends from Lowell, um, we've been doing a podcast for every season of Lost, and Mikey hates... I fucking hate like Hates the, it so it, much. First season's not terrible. Second season's pretty bad. Third season's awful. Fourth season is absolute dog shit. Fifth season's even worse. I'm terrified what season six is going to be. I disagree. I think it is... Oh, fucking Okay. Um. Yeah. No. Listen. If anyway. you, it's on the Friendly Atheist podcast feed. If you want to donate like three bucks a month to our Patreon, you can get a, a hold of those and some other movies that Mikey and I have been watching. Okay. Um. Shelley asks if uh, Leo is a vegetable. Doc Hayward's like, Merp, and um, he leaves. Shelley cries. How do they spell that? M e r p. Okay. There's an umlaut in there. You just have to mm, know oh. where it goes. Shelly cries. Do you think Shelly is cry- Why do you think Shelly is crying at the end of that? Leo is alive. Okay, yeah, that's kind of what I think, too. Yeah. Uh, you don't she, think it's any part of, like, this she, is a man she used to love? She thought she was out of it. She thought she was out of it without her own... Do- the man, not, like, not only was he awful, she tried to kill him earlier. Yes. She wanted him gone. She shot him. And since then, he tried to kill her. Yeah. She wants him gone. And so what you're saying is Leo's not a Leo's not a good one. I went to drink for my water and it was just a bottle of wine next to me. Yep. Well, drink it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. Leo, not the best of us. There's Correct. some good characters, some bad characters, and then Do you Leo. think Leo's character um is worse because he's not very layered? He's just straight up a bad guy? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, because I think most people I, like in that, Twin like Peaks we, are... We talked about that in the finale where, like, 
he's genuinely broken up that he has to kill his quote unquote has to kill his wife because she whatever but because there's depth there Mm -hmm. there's there's a layered approach there Mm. and interesting enough if you read the secret diary leo is a much more prominent character and he has depth some depth there i think jen lynch gives him more depth than this show ever did Mm -hmm. but yeah he's very much a i mean he was brought in like if you were when you were creating an outline for this show at the very very beginning okay well who's our main suspect we gotta have a guy who's nothing but awful he's gonna be our number one suspect for everybody that's leo Mm -hmm. so that's all he's ever been and I wish I wish they gave him like the way the way they do with Hank. They give him moments of sincerity and and then you and then you have to question whether it is actually sincere or is he just playing somebody? Mm-hmm. And then oh shit, he's got depth. Because mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And th- Leo is or always even, just a bad guy. Even with Hank, I always assume he's a bad guy, but at least he is. He, but no one else. But the other people don't necessarily exactly, know exactly. that. The people in like, this show, yeah. Leo is shown nothing but being a douchebag. No, he, he's never done a good thing in the show. Ever. Yeah, yeah. Um. So <laughs> Lucy, okay. So Lucy receives a call from the call for the sheriff from someone who will not give up his name. She tells the caller she cannot connect him unless. He tells her his name and then hangs up. This scene. Yes. And and I feel like we're going to think about different things. But my immediate thought was I couldn't tell if this person was continuously asking, just get me through to the sheriff, just get me through to the sheriff. Or if Lucy was just talking to a deadline of like, well, you have to tell me his name. Well, if you can't tell me your name, then I can't connect you. Because it goes on like two full yeah. minutes. Like this it's long. A, I, I love this moment because it never gets brought back to. Oh, it doesn't? It's one of those. It, this, this, I've talked about a few times. Something he David Lynch likes to do, especially in this TV series, is drop breadcrumbs for other writers. Pick up something mm. here. Pick up something here. I drop this thing for you. You can roll with it. I feel feel like he's giving people, you know, catalysts for I, for storyline, and he dropped this one, and no one ever picked it up. And I, no one. This never gets referenced again. We don't know who it is. We don't know why they're calling. Mm-hmm. But they left it in, and they left it in for a significant amount of time. And it's not even the start of another scene. Mm-hmm. It's this is it's the a scene. standalone. Yeah, I'm sort of dying to talk to either one of these TV or a TV writer in general because like I'm in the midst of trying to write a novel and it's hard enough if I'm like laying my own fucking breadcrumbs to be like don't forget to pick this mm-hmm. up let alone I'm gonna lay this out and like hopefully somebody else does it I don't I, think it's I, a I feel hopefully like- even I think it's just a because some of these things there's there's unanswered questions in season one and two mm-hmm. that David Lynch picks back up in season three which was never planned there wasn't going to be a season three until 20... But do you think that's him saying, like, well, you motherfuckers didn't, like, grab onto these cool plot no, lines? No, no. I just, I just think he is like, well, what do we got? What do we have to work with? Yeah. Oh, these are things. Let's use these. Sure. I came up with them. I like them. Yeah. You I did such I mean? a good job in like, the 90s. He doesn't, pick up, <laughs> he doesn't pick up anybody else's breadcrumbs. Right. 
He only picks up his own. Right. So that he keeps he brings back in all of his characters. Okay. And his characters are Briggs and Log Lady sure. and Sarah Palmer that are like almost yeah, he loves. exclusively in David mm-hmm. Lynch directed episodes. Uh, but I want to tie back to the initial question. Do you think the person who was talking to Lucy on the phone was saying, just connect me. I want to talk to this person. I'm not going to tell you my name. Or do you think this person was just silent on the line and she kept saying, well, you have to tell me your name. Tell me your name. Tell me your name. I, I think there's someone there. But do you think they're speaking to her? Do you think they're speaking to Lucy in a way that you and I, that the audience can't hear is what I'm asking? Yes. Yeah. I, okay. I, I never really thought about it. I always took it as I needed like I'm kind of on the other end of it. I, of kind of what, what it reminds me of is last the last episode, the mm-hmm. premiere, mm-hmm. the season two premiere, when the and and this might be it might be the same person. I reminds me a lot of the shoe sales, the Mike, the shoe, the yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Philip Gerard, who's like, hey, I'm here to, I need to talk to, because she tells Philip Gerard to come back. Oh, interesting. And I think it's him being like. And that whole that whole exchange is super weird. Where in in the mm-hmm. last episode, where he's like, it's "Hey, I'm really here to see Sheriff Truman," and she's like, "Oh, sh- you're here to see Sheriff Truman? Yeah, I'm here to shoes." Yeah, and like the whole, and then he just leaves. Mm-hmm. That's the vibe I get. And I, if I were to put my wager on who it is again, it's Phil Gerard. See, to me, and I don't know who I think it is, but. I think it is somebody saying, can I talk to Sheriff Truman? And then is silent on the line. And Lucy just keeps saying, who is this? You have to tell me who it is. I can't put you through if you're yeah, not no, like somebody fair. who, in which, that's a, that's but that's just how I, I read Lucy's character. Of like, that. I'm trying to do my job as best I can. I read it as Phil Gerard calling in saying, I need to talk to Sheriff Truman. I, and she's like, well, I don't know who this is. I can't send you. Cause he just wants to set an appointment to sell him shoes. Yes. Which is why he's like, if this isn't an important thing, I just, I don't know what else to say. Mm-hmm. And then she hangs up on him. Yeah. <laughs> but regardless, that never actually pan- plays into anything. Yeah. It's that, just, I, that I'm aware spoiler of. Spoiler is it's just a standalone nonsense yeah. scene. Okay, so we go back to One-Eyed Jacks. Um, Audrey, uh, so Audrey, it's, so is Audrey captured or is she just undercover and not leaving? She... Is an employee mm-hmm. of One Eye Jacks, which means she can't really leave. Oh, is that the? I I got the vibe that if you work there, you live there. Okay, this it's is like a bunny ranch thing. Like yeah, you live this more. is this is your life now, and so she can't. And also, I don't know the ways in and out of One Eye Jacks, but every time we've ever seen anyone go there, they go there via boat. So if she oh, doesn't have... so it could be on an island or something yeah, like that. Yeah, it that could you be can't. very well that sure. like, you can't just go sure. when you want. Like if she walked out the front door or whatever. Um, but I, that's the vibe I got is that you I need think to, that's fair. You need... You don't... She, she's not resourceful enough to get out. Sure. Okay, so at 1A Jax, uh, Audrey intercepts a girl carrying ice to Emery, Bat- Emery Battis, who we know is, we saw him in, what, season, or episode yeah, maybe five the, or six? Yeah, the guy at Horns who recruits the girls. Yeah. Uh, who is lying inverted on a chaise lounge with ankles and wrists bound, while another girl vacuum, pushes a vacuum cleaner. Supposedly that was another thing that was like an onset thing, a change of like, Somebody so, had to someone vacuum. was cleaning up in between 
scenes, and, and he, he was like, I it. fucking love that thing. Let's put that in the scene. Well, so we see Emery. So he's on the Shades Lounge, but he's upside down. His toe, his toenails are painted red. <laughs> yeah. He's tied up to the Shades Lounge. Mm-hmm. So it's obviously some sort of... And he, he went to that Shibari Con that was at... Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My old hotel. Is he blindfolded? I can't remember. At the start of the scene, yeah. Um, And so clearly he... I'm assuming it's part of his like compensation that you funnel women, in, you know, you funnel girls into one eyed jacks, and you get to do your like weird upside oh, yeah, down this, this, shit. The same way that Ben Horn gets his way with anybody, like, like but Ben Horn is the owner. I'm saying right. like this guy is. Like, I feel like any anyone important gets sure, what they free, want free or. Or he pays dues or whatever, but like gets <laughs> yeah. to whenever he wants yeah. to, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Audrey kind of waves the vacuumer out. Which is a great, it goes on way too long. They're, they're both without words, like cleaning. And get out of here. Feasible. No, this, I have to do. No, this is my get, job. Get, get the fuck out of here. Well, get the, you're, why are you here? Get that, get that, like go back. Lynch. And then finally like, fine. And like dramatically like throws her arms up and leaves. It's so Lynch good. is so good at like unspoken scenes oh. of like. he hates words. Yeah, it's something I will never agree with Lynch on, but I appreciate his yeah. form of art. Like as a writer, I find that like deeply offensive. Um. So Audrey unplugs the vacuum and wraps the cord around his neck, uh, Emery's neck. She threatens to reveal all about Emery, Laura, and run out to her father. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you a nice little bedtime story. Are you ready? Once upon a time, there was a sweet, innocent girl named Red. That's me. And she met a bad old wolf. That's you. And she kicked the crap out of that wolf. And she told her daddy all about it. Then she told the police, and the bad old wolf went to jail for a million years. What do you want? I want to know everything you know, Emery. Perfume counter, Laura Palmer, Ronette Pulaski, and One-Eyed Jacks. <laughs> You're insane. <laughs> I'm insane? Well, I'm Audrey Horn, and I get what I want. You understand? Yes, all right. Emery admits working for the owner of One-Eyed Jacks, her father, and recruiting Lauren Ronette. And I'm Audrey Horn, and I get what I want. I'm Audrey Horn, and I get what I want. How do you feel about that line? I think it's badass. Okay. What? Why? Uh, it feels too on the nose to me. You think? Like, if I told you I'm Jessica Grafe, and I get what I want, you would roll your eyes so hard at me. Yeah, but you're not Audrey Horn. <laughs> okay, first of all, rude. <laughs> no, I, I, I mean, I... For her, what she is in her position, uh, yeah, and what she's trying to do, and she's coming from a family of horns, yeah. She, yeah, she does. She gets what she wants. To me, it just feels a little tell don't show. But it also it's 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 not a capper. No, you're it's, right. It's buried in the in a, in an auto, in, in the middle of like a, an exchange yeah. borderline And I know monologue. that line means a lot to a lot of people. Like, yeah, and I don't deny anything, but like, it's pulled within a context of other lines. It isn't a boom. Here's a one liner. Yes. So I think it became became more elevated than it was. Yeah. Just my kind of thing is. Yeah, well, like I said, it's it's very tell don't show. We don't show Audrey. I mean, we show Audrey Horn like getting what she wants through various well, means. But she, I don't know. But don't it's know. the opposite of that, I think, because it's we've seen her fail repeatedly, yeah. so she doesn't get what she wants. She is presenting 
that she's I'm Audrey Horn and I get what you want what I want but she doesn't so her saying it is important because it's the only way that this guy gets it sure because you're not getting out of this he hasn't seen it she hasn't done anything that would make him think that you know um he says Laura, uh, so Amory says Laura came there to one of Jack's one weekend but was using drugs and they threw her out. Uh, he says her father saw Laura there, so Ben Horan saw Laura there, and he makes it his business to entertain all the girls. He says that Laura knew Ben Horn owned one eyed Jack's and that Laura always got her way, just like Audrey. Um, next scene. Um, in the evening, Bobby and Shelly sit in Bobby's dad's dad's car. Sometimes my Chicago accent comes out <laughs> really hard. <laughs> His dad. He tells... They were uh, eating some sausages. <laughs> he tells her that... School bears. Uh, Leo, Leo gets a disability check as long as he's out of prison, and he gets over five grand a month, but only if he's home. Then they talk about being together. This is a great setup. Oh, love it. This it's a, such a nice tip for the rest of the season. Yeah, especially too. with where this goes, this is such a naive high schooler's approach 100%. to like, holy shit. We just fucking five thousand dollars a but, month is and, the and we're most. Do so, oh, this is fucking huge. Because even Shelly's is like, well, I have bills. He's like, don't worry about your bills. Yeah, we're gonna we, buy it. We're a fucking yacht, made in the whatever. shade. Yeah. Um. So good. So that night, Cooper tells Diane about being troubled because of Wyndham Earl's disappearance, and also because Aubrey's absence touches him uh, in made, ways he couldn't predict, which mm. is what I. Think. Well, it's it's interesting. I I this so, is this I like I this. There's a genuine connection that isn't sexual. You're making a face. Yeah. You, can't, you, you guys can't hear that on You the radio. think his bond with Absolutely. the gorgeous Audrey is Absolutely. utterly platonic? It's not platonic in like a friend's way. There's a, there's some, I think that there's some sort of spiritual humanity connection. Okay. Okay. I, I just... And I think he's perplexed by it. Sure. He doesn't understand why. Because he's... It's it's an instance where, like, I'm not... This isn't someone I want to have sex with. But I don't understand why I'm... Drawn to her. Why I'm so... Like, I, I think he thinks of her as a daughter. Or, like, someone he needs to protect. He sees himself as a as a the white knight or a protector sure, sure, sure. of her. Yeah, he's the white hat isn't guy. Which is sexual. Yes, and I think he's, I think he's though, perplexed by that. I think it's naive to say that it is non-sexual, though. Don't you? No. Really? Have no. you seen Audrey and how she treats him? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. I think I, if if it were sexual. That entire scene where she's naked in his bed would have been very fucking different. No, but I I think there's a difference between he's sexually attracted to her versus he understands that it's deeply inappropriate for her to, for him to do anything with her. But I don't think that means he doesn't have lustful feelings for her. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, obviously neither of us is right or wrong, but... No, I'm right. (laughs) Excuse me? I said I'm right. I can't. I couldn't hear you. Could you say microphone? I am right. Fuck you. You're sleeping on the couch. <laughs> um, I go to bed first. <laughs> Good luck. 
Um, Major Briggs visits and tells Cooper that uh, that he has a message for him. He explains that his uh, so Briggs <laughs> space garbage. That's what I love. Briggs explains that his work includes maintenance of deep space monitors aimed at distant galaxies, and they routinely uh, receive communications that are gibberish and noise or space garbage. Um, among those is one clear message that came. In late Thursday night or early Friday, about the time Cooper was shot, uh, the message was, the owls are not what they seem. Michael, have you heard this phrase before? Well, more specifically than the time he was shot, it seems like this is the exact moment that the giant gave him the clue of the owls are not what they seem. Right. Again, very Lost-esque. We have a very similar scene to... Sure. I think I I think I brought down your plane, brother. That's my Scottish accent. Was it good? Sure. Cool. Thank you, Michael. I got it. Um, when Cooper asks how he knew it was for him, the major shows him another message that came in later, and Cooper. it's just Cooper repeated Cooper. many times. Cooper. Three times. Um, all right. Our next scene. Are you ready for this, Michael? We're in the Hayward home. James, Maddie, and Donna record a song. Now, it is Sunday evening, and I am fully, <laughs> I'm fully planning on learning this song on guitar yep. and play and playing the it. The key: you have to put your ass at the edge of a chair and do one knee Kneel. on the ground. <laughs> and could, because for some reason the microphone is going <laughs> to be like, like tabletop mics. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> it's so so good. it's James. I love it. Y'all, y'all. Uh, but this is this like a, song. This is, is so this is the bad. same thing as the stool scene. This is a let's lull you into this weird place and then throw fucking Bob at you. Let's lull you into this weird place and then throw the fucking trauma of Ronette retelling the story at you. This is this yes, is he but... loves putting you where he wants you to be so that the effect of something else works. But do you think Lynch's uh, uh, aim of this was to be silly. Not silly, but just a different tone. Just yeah, just tr- he's the song is so fucking melancholy. Oh my! But it also is very Battlementy esque. Like it's very. So there's a great James Marshall you. is on record. I'll see. Maybe we can link it if I can find a video clip and of it. I- of. James Marshall, who plays James Hurley, telling the story of this song. Because he talks about, apparently, like, so he used to bring his guitar on set every day. Like, during downtime, he would play. Yeah, because he's a 20-something white guy, and that's how he makes friends. because he's the cool guy at fucking summer camp who sits backwards (laughs) in chairs. No, I'm sorry. That's Uh, a youth pastor, Michael. Yeah, for sure. So he's playing guitar, and then at one point, I guess Lynch walked up to him and said, like, hey would you want to play on screen at some point? <clears throat> and, and Marshall was like, oh, yeah, cool. Like, assuming it meant like, oh, I'll be playing some tabs or whatever and fucking around and to start a scene and then someone will walk in and I'll put the guitar down and that'll be, we'll go into the scene or whatever. Like, cool. Like, I'm fun with that. And he was like, no, I, I want it to be like a full song. And he's like, okay. So I like went and thought about it came back and he's like why don't we do like a I feel like it should be a very like 50s vibe almost like a doo-wop 
but like rock and roll kind of thing. But a third of the speed. But but I want it to be like a like the song "Only You," where a lot of it is in falsetto. Only. Oh yeah, yeah. No, keep singing though. But but goes kind of up and down like that. And he's like, only... And so he's like, I sat down at a piano to pitch this idea with David Lynch and Angelo. Angelo Battlementi. He's like, oh, it'll be like, only you. And he's like... And I, and I started being like, oh, so I want it to be like, only you. And then... I don't remember who it was, but he was like... And then David Lynch was like, just you. And Battlementi was like, and I. Like, they just fucking threw it together and he's like that's perfect and he was like is it though oh (laughs) hear me out this isn't perfect i was like okay i i mean i guess i i guess i'll work with it a little bit and i'll come back and i'll write and record it they're like actually we nailed it in one and he's like i will i'll come i'll write it and we can record it and i'll play it you know and it'll which can you sorry like before we move on imagine being james what's his last name Marshall. Marshall, who has this role in this show, and somebody's like, do you want to write an original song for this incredibly popular show? And so he's like, fuck yes. Like, yes, yes, yes. This is my moment. It's like if Mikey ever asked me to sing on this podcast, I'd be like, it's my moment to shine. Yeah, but I'm never going to do that. (laughs) So... He's goes voice. and he goes off to like write this song or whatever, and then, and then they just came back with the song written. In and the lyrics are just you and I and, together forever. And then I die. More importantly, the guitar song is not at all in his key, and he's like the guitar song, the the vocals. Well, he hadn't done the vocals yet, so he, they're his vocals. He recorded the vocal. They recorded the guitar sound, and he's like, I can't sing falsetto in that key it's, and they were like no well, we already it's recorded for this. me and i'm a human he's woman. like we recorded this so figure it out <laughs> so he just like records this thing and he's like i'm just you just and it's so you. fucking awkward and it's not a good song which is wild because but that at the same time a great song but at the same time sounds exactly like a fucking 17 year old would fucking record yeah, I guess. It's just so fucking... B- but... I guess maybe I can relate to it too much because if, like, a cute 17-year-old boy asked me to sing backup vocals on his terrible song, <laughs> I'd be like, fuck, fuck yeah. yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah. Just you. Yeah, and that's what it is. And, and he's... So he's like, I'm trying to sing this in a key that I can't do. That's- so I can't do... Like, no, it's a very simplistic song, yeah, sure. Yeah. But it only you know sounds when I absurd it on my because he does the entire thing in falsetto. I would argue it's an absurd song because it's dumb. Sure. Like, yes, the falsetto doesn't help, but it does. I think it does try to give a, 19, like you said, 1950s doo-woppy feel. But it's just nothing lyrics. It, mm-hmm. They mean nothing. And... I don't know if this is on purpose or what, but it's like the the lyrics are just you and I, just you and I, just you and I, just you and I together, together forever, forever. in and love. He, and he's making like he's like I fucking both Maddie and um. Oh, sorry, I thought our dog puked, but she just rubbed her face. Um, like. He like I fucks both Maddie and No, he's he's 
super high fucking Maddie. He's not paying attention to Donna. No, no, That's no. That's why Donna leaves. The first leaves. part is Do- he's like looking at Donna with like Meanwhile, all of his blue he eyes. He clearly wrote this fucking song for Laura. <sighs> None of these girls deserve this loser in their life. That's the point, I think. God, can you? Aren't you glad you're not in high school anymore? Totally. Um, it's but so anyway. much better being forty and falling off your yeah, skateboard. So this whole fucking scene is crazy. It's truly wild and so bad. Um, I'm definitely going to drop in some of. The, I'm going to drop in some of the song, and then at the end, I'm defo going to try to record my oh own. Oh God, yes, it's going to be so do bad. It, do I it. don't have a job right now. You know what I do have time for? Recording a terrible song on my acoustic guitar. Um, so anyway, um, Donna notices James and Maddie looking at each other and runs out of the room upset, and they smooch. A phone call comes in for Donna from Harold Smith as Maddie has a vision of Bob coming at her over the couch, causing her to scream. Underplay that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I'm not saying TweetingPeaksAboutHeaven.com slash wiki slash episode underscore nine is great writing, but it's getting us where we need to go. It So this is just a terrifying sequence. True. Nothing happens. Really? It's like really just Bob kind of crawling over. But yeah, so he walks up, he makes a hard left turn, climbs over the couch and go here so I heard this took a couple of takes where he Lynch had the idea and he was like, Hey, walk towards the cam like climb over the couch, walk toward the camera. Go all the way into the camera. Uh-huh. And apparently Frank Silva, who plays Bob, was like so entrenched in afraid to look at the lens that he, they on the first take, he ran through and he was like, that was awesome. I know everything we've told you before was don't look at the lens. Look ex- directly in the lens. I want to terrify viewers. Mm-hmm. This isn't about terrifying Maddie. This is about terrifying viewers at this yeah. point. So he stares down the lens and goes all the way up to it until his entire face fills the frame and you can't see anything. Yeah. And it's utterly terrifying. It's very, very scary. It's, and, and it's, it's an f- incredibly effective scare mm-hmm. with nothing. Yeah. Like nothing happens. Yeah. Um, so she's screaming. Maddie is screaming. James and Donna go to her, but there's nothing there. Uh, Cooper dreams several flashbacks, including the giant telling him that the owls are not what they seem. Ronette dreaming of Bob, uh, an image of an owl superimposed upon Sarah's vision of Bob, which is creepy as fuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, but oddly, the exact same shape. Like, mm, yeah. Like the way Bob's hairline is, is mm-hmm. like the exact shape of an owl, which yeah, is creepy, it's creepy and weird. Uh, Sarah goes downstairs. Palmer goes downstairs. Bob is smiling. <coughs> Cooper wakes. And answers the phone to Audrey saying, why aren't you here? She tell she tells them he looked handsome in his tuxedo and that she's in trouble. Blackie and Emery hang up her phone and Blackie tells Audrey, Miss Horn, you don't know what trouble is. Not by a long shot. Dun, dun, dun. I kind of hate why aren't you here. Can I say that? Why? What do you mean? Um, And maybe it's, it's just... And you could be... this. Here's the thing. You could be right... I've never second guessed anything Audrey's ever done until this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because it, I like to think that Audrey, 
was trying to get to the bottom of of shit on her own to kind of bring it back to Cooper. Mm-hmm. That to me was her play the whole time of like if I can figure out who mm-hmm. killed Laura Palmer or whatever. But what this reads is if I get myself in trouble, Cooper is going to come and save me and that's my ultimate goal. Which it could be Okay. That could be right. But cuz that's how like why aren't you here reads to me of why haven't you rescued? I got myself lost. Why have it, it's like a kid running away from home the, and wanting their parents to come find them. The key. Are you remembering the letter? Almost certainly not. Okay, so she sent the letter. That's the letter that's currently residing underneath his bed, uh, telling Cooper where she is. Okay, and so she said, "I'm gonna go do this thing. If I get in too deep, you'll be there to bail me out." Okay. And now she's realizing I'm in too deep. Yeah. Why aren't you here? And she's thinking he's betrayed her. Okay. All right. That's fair. So up front, sure. But when you find out about that letter, which sure. you do in the next episode, um, it's it's a matter of, which I think is a great, great non-Lynch-directed episode is the, the next one? of Lori Horn or Laudry Horn. Um, Say lottery horn. Yes, don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> but it's yeah, it's. I think that's all it is. It's it's a child. She's a child. Yeah. Oh, that's fair. I think also I am coming to this in a lot of ways. Is like I'm a strong feminist lady, and I it makes me uh, uncomfortable to see women in fiction relying absolutely on men because that's what I was raised on and I mm-hmm. don't want to see that from like strong female characters but I think that's more my this, my shit instead the, of Audrey and that's what I think is so interesting about Audrey is she puts on the front of a strong female character and she's not she I mean it's not that she's not she's just a 17 year old idiot like that's exactly that's who she is and that's not a judgment on her like we are all idiots when sure. we're 17 that's that's what I mean but like she's Playing well out of her leaves. Yes, yes. She's she's way out of her depth. Um, okay, cool. And that's the end of that episode. Mikey got almost through a bottle of wine. Me too. Good for us. Yay. Yeah. Um, Pursued by wine. I cannot believe you bought Pursued by Bear wine for yeah. us. I just wanted it. Did you? Yeah. Why else would I get it? Because you like me and know I like wine. Yeah, but I got it for me. You can't have any. <laughs> Okay. I guess I'm never going to cook dinner for you ever again. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Hey, anyway. guys. As usual, thank you for listening. Um, is there anything we want to plug or... No, we don't have anything going on. Hey, if you want to hear more of Mikey and I being drunk and yelling about shit... Um, uh, <laughs> and, and I'm sure you don't. And, and, and who among you doesn't? Um, oh yeah, that, that too. I co-host a uh, a podcast called The Friendly Atheist. We talk about it's very current events based, talking about uh, current events through the lens of kind of secular and feminism and all that stuff. But um, we, in addition to that, um, we have um, a Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash Friendly Atheist Podcast. And Mikey and I, since quarantine has started, have been uh, watching movies and. About people being trapped together in the quarantine mm-hmm. theme and discussing them. And now in um, in July, Mikey is 
not watching any movies directed by oh, yeah. white men. Yep. So I made a I made a, a deal with myself or a commitment that for the month of July, I won't watch a movie directed by a white man. Can we do one tonight? I feel like it's gonna be a lot of fun. It might be. I mean, you want to watch uh-huh. I'll Be Gone in the Dark, but maybe I don't have to watch oh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I'd love to do yeah, this. Let's get crazy. Um. Anyway, I'm, so if you if you want to be part of it, deep now, so we'll see if I'm awake. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we're doing that. Um, my podcast is something I'm very proud of, and um, it's something I have a ton of fun doing with my husband. Um, anyway, thank you so much for listening. I know there's like 14 of you, but <laughs> I think there's more than that. I think we do pretty it's well. It's like about 60. Let's not like I mean, 60 trip over download, our own dicks which on means this. like 40. <laughs> you said 40, 14, and I think it's 40. Oh, that's all I'm saying. Okay. Um, anyway, thank you for listening. We've and we got a couple will... of emails, a couple of tweets. Oh, yeah. You... We're pretty much like the best there is. Basically. We're... <laughs> it's just like the end-all be-all we're like the of N- Twin Peaks. We're the NPR of the Twin Peaks set. Big time. All right. Bye, guys. Love you. Thank you for listening to Cooper Duper, a Twin Peaks podcast for regular people, hosted by Michael Greif and me, Jessica Blumke Greif. Our podcast logo is by Forker Creative. You can follow them at Forker Creative. Our theme music is by Brad Chactus. You can always email us at cooperduperpod at gmail.com. Please go on iTunes and leave us a positive review and tell a friend. We'll see you next week.